I'm reflecting on the elements, the earth, fire, water, and air is the conditioned realm, space and consciousness. This is a background. So the background holds the the uh, conditions, consciousness, space, and, and then the perspective on the conditions formed through the solid, liquid, heat, and energy. So sometimes we, we, our interest is in the earth, fire, water, air. <coughs> and uh, we, we don't notice the background. This is the samsara, the, the created world. And so uh, just notice the, the creation. We talk about creation. It's and we're doing it all the time. We create the world we live in. A sense of a self. A me as a separate person. Uh, the, the interests, the loves, the hates, the preferences, the prejudices and so forth that we create is a world. That we, you know, we are the creator of the world. And so then the Buddha is the epithet, is the knower of the world. Not the critic or the, you know, it's not a, not a critic of the world or uh, someone that uh, tries to destroy the world, but to know. And so consciousness is, is the ability to know things. Conscious forms, and that we're in a position of, from this perspective, that uh, even right now within this uh, body, in this position on the high seat, then the knowing is allowed through conscious. If I'm unconscious, I don't know anything. <coughs> So the, the the Buddha is the the knower ability to know things as they are through uh, not through uh, values principles ideals but in the reality of the present the all conditioned phenomena arises ceases anicca dukkhanata. And when we take the position of the person, then we're back into operating in the, in the in the world that we create. And just think of your own life when you when you think of me and mine and my body and my views and opinions, my feelings, my needs, my desires. All this is uh, creation that arises and ceases, uh, and the background receives it. You know, the background doesn't judge, doesn't prefer, but is receptive. So, the aim of, say, refuge in the Buddha, then, is to, instead of identifying with the world and operating within the limitation of earth, fire, water, and air, where we're going to the background, realizing or recognizing. And this is an intuitive ability. <coughs> it's not a rational, when you start rationalizing, that's back into the earth, fire, water and air world. of Preferences, views, opinions, history, 
attitudes, likes and dislikes. So then how to be in this, this background? You know, how to, you know, the words themselves get in the way. Because you can't create the background. You know, you can, you can abstract it with a word. You, know, you can, you know, theorize about it uh, by thought. But that's not it, is it? It's more or less just a, another creation, an abstract creation of the mind. The, the uh, mindfulness is the way to that. To be the background, the receptor for the creation. So, like space and consciousness has no personality. It is no, you know, it's not, it has no quality other than spaciousness and consciousness. So then the meditation, as I use that word, is uh, to recognize, realize this. And it's the third noble truth of cessation, the awareness, uh, the, the reality of this background is, is apparent. Because uh, thinking, feeling, uh, the sense world, sense experiences arise and cease in consciousness. So that's where in the sound of silence, and say this, this is the background of everything. So in recognizing uh, this subtle sound or vibration, <coughs> learning to, uh, the, the, the recognizing it, and even though people oftentimes don't even uh, recognize it, just, uh, or, or put it into a context of some annoying um, sound, or, or just ignore it. Because the the stimulation through the senses is is what we're used to. We're used to being excited or bored or liking or disliking. <coughs> so it's not exciting. It does it. It seems boring to uh, a person that likes excitement. Isn't it? What can be more boring than the background and space or the sound of silence. If one's looking for excitement, and so like, like um, the, when I give a desna to inspire you, you notice how inspiration works. Uh, when I when I use inspiring terms, I use usually superlatives, uh, talking about the wonder of the dhamma or the the purpose of the monastic life, the altruism, the beauty, uh, using words of this, of these, uh, these kind of words, can be very inspiring. And inspiring, inspiration is, is getting high again. It's an emotional high. You talk about the purity and the wonder of monasticism and the purpose of it, the selflessness, being selfless, being free from greed, hatred, and delusion. And so forth, these are, these, these kind of phrases can uplift, inspire our conscious moment. <coughs> but then to sustain that inspiration is an impossibility, isn't it? 
like the magic of the marriage, the the honeymoon period, or the whatever you want to call it. It's uh, it's beautiful. But there's no question of it. It's lovely. It's uh, not to be despised, but to to um, depend on inspiration is going to be inevitably disappointing because it's non-sustainable. Reaches a peak and then it goes. <coughs> but the background is, is, is a, sustains itself. We don't have to sustain it. It's not an act of will that I have to keep sustaining it, making it, keep creating it, and and obsessing myself with it in order to keep it going. Uh, but in recognizing, so so it's relaxing the sense of relaxing, resting, like floating in the stream. Sound of silence is like a stream, isn't it? So when I use aparuta de sangamatasa tawa, the gates to the deathless are open, ye soda vanta, soda vanta, listening to the one who listens to the stream. That's my interpretation anyway. But that's one way of reflecting on it. So you notice listening to streams, to uh, the sound of waters flowing like this is a, when we listen to the, the sound of the stream, it's like the background, isn't it? When you're, you're in a situation where there's a river or waterfall or rain falling, things like this, it's a, like a, a continuous background, it's a background. It isn't exciting, uh, it's not, you know, fascinating or stimulating, but if we rest in that flow, we give ourselves, uh, we give up our desire for pleasure, interesting things to think, uh, trying to get enlightened, trying to get rid of our defilements, trying to become something, trying to attain something, all these, uh, you know, become uh, unnecessary if we're resting in the stream. Now notice what happens when you do that, you know, when, uh, I mean, this is, these are words again, and they can even inspire you to, to practice. <clears throat> but then if you grasp my words or the ideas that I'm giving you, you're going to be disappointed if you don't, if, you, if all you're doing is, is trying to find the stream and trying to surrender to it according to grasping the, the idea or the ideal of practice. This is where I say, trust your, this is an intuitive practice. We're not trying to become a stream enterer or a, somebody who is relaxed and, and who surrenders uh, because that's based on the, on the concept again, on the self. So this attitude of, of, of letting go, of uh, opening receptivity, like uh, it's like you have this sense of being free in this stream that sustains itself. It's no longer up to me to try to keep it going or make it work. I give up that that tendency to want to control or manipulate or will will things in according to uh, you know what I want or what I imagine I should want or get.
So these words like surrender means like giving up, not as a kind of resignation in a negative way, but uh, you know, seeing the futility of trying to control. <coughs> now, when we get, try to get samadhi through the willful act, then we there's an enormous amount of effort into controlling situations. You know, it's the don't make a noise, shut up, and don't bother me kind of attitudes that tend to come from. Uh, wanting to control situations where that don't disrupt or distract or upset or interfere, the you know like sensory deprivation, one can and uh, depriving the senses of stimulation. You uh, you know through a willful act, you go to a sen- sensory deprivation thing, or whatever. Then you will, uh, as you kind of surrender to that and the lack of sensory stimulation is uh, a calm that naturally is there when you're not being stimulated. But then it then we tend to identify tranquility or peacefulness with controlling, you know, trying to to get rid of the irritations and the uh, disruptions, the loud noises. And so then we, uh, we become control freaks, in other words. <coughs> I've seen it in myself, you know, liking tranquility so much that, uh, that seeing anyone who is a possibility for disrupting it is an enemy. It's like, you know, you want to the, the conditioned realm is then a threatening one because you want to control it so it doesn't upset, doesn't disrupt me in any way. So in, you know, the Buddha, in his insight into the Four Noble, into reality, in enlightenment, when the ascetic Gautama uh, saw the Dhamma, the true Dhamma, then there was no longer any need to control, but to totally trust in the awareness, because the awareness then the background is receives everything. You know, it's not picking, choosing, preferring, judging according to standards that one has. You know, so the slamming, the door slamming, the the noise, the the disruption, the craziness, the goodness, or the ugliness is received from the background. You know, there's room for everything. It, it, it's inclusive. So the the that tendency to control we see is is uh, defilement. You know, it's something that, that that if we follow that, then we're we're constantly living a life uh, of fear. We're caught in the power of fear. If we're resting in the background, then what's there to fear? Who can destroy the background? What can destroy the background? Annihilate the background. So then the, the fearlessness, isn't it? It's the set that my personality is all about fear. You know, what do people think of me? Am I all right? Am I being politically correct? Am I offending anybody right now? Am I, uh, you know, tell me I'm okay. Let you know relationships. Everybody's fascinated with relationships, wanting to relate to each other as personalities, and uh, 
wanting to solve problems on a personal level. Let's get everything out in the open, transparent. These are the words of the present age. And expose and be yourself, be natural. And well, these are all quite uh, kind of the, the 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 jargon of the present time. So we can spend hours, you know, with each other, trying to, you know, solve, work out our relationship, and and uh, endlessly, you know, uh, get involved emotionally with each other. But then, at the end of the day, is that you know, the separation. You can have a relationship with somebody for so long, then it has to separate. And we're left with the memories, you know, the memories of spending hours listening to somebody and, and uh, discussing our feelings and thoughts and opinions and views. But is anything ever really resolved that way? Now, not to dismiss that or despise it, but it is limited to the world. <coughs> and not liberating until we trust in the awareness the background of it all which is non-personal and in that non which is non-personal and then universal now this word universal, one, isn't it? Universe, uni, unit, one. And this word uh, implies no longer two. It's not me having a relationship with you. It's a oneness before the, the personality and relationship, the, other, the idea of relationship arises. In that oneness, then, there's no judgment. You know, one is not, you know, concern, you know, one isn't always trying to manipulate the conditions so that I'm feeling all right about myself or that you're feeling all right about yourself or that, you know, we're, we're trying to work out our problems, our difficulties, and, and just this, this way of thinking when we carry it around, it, se it seems to have no end to it. Like when I, when I'm with you in a in a one-to-one -one basis, then the oneness is the awareness, which includes you and and everything you know the 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 body this body and its feelings and thoughts and emotions but once you recognize and realize uh, the the background the consciousness that contains all this that the receives all this then uh it's no longer uh we become so we give such preference, such an interest, such a an obsessive interest in the conditions, because there's room for everything, room for misunderstanding, for understanding, for love, for hate, for uh, praise and blame, happiness, suffering, because our real identity is no longer limited to the personal to what we remember. When I leave you, go back to my kuti, then, then I have a memory of you. And if I have no background for that memory, I tend to believe the memory is actually you. So I can, you know, we, I can have a meeting working out my relationship with you and then go back to my kuti and then have memories of you. And what is that? It's a memory, isn't it? It's, I've it's a creation of my mind. It's not you. 
in the existing reality of one-to-one where we're actually with each other, looking at each other, then if I, if I uh, see you through a memory, through a prejudice, if, I'm, if I think you are like this, you're this kind of a person, then I'm looking at my memories. You know, I'm, not, I'm not really receiving you at this moment as is, but I've got my own views about you, which I'm, then I'm talking to, to my viewpoint, to my memory, rather than to you. And you can see why so many misunderstandings take place, because we, have, we form opinions about each other. And then we tend to talk to our opinions. And how many irritating moments have you spent in your life when somebody's telling you, telling you what you are and how you should be, and, and uh, so on and on like this. Somebody is actually, um, you know, they're talking to their viewpoint about you, to the memory. They're not talking to you. When we feel received in consciousness in the moment, that's different, isn't it? And then I drop all my memories and prejudices and opinions about you to receive, to be present in the reality of this moment then communication works because I'm no longer talking to, to some memory I have about you which is, which is not you at all. Now how many of you have uh, view, you know, the, all the psychological views about you know, your relationship with your mother and father and the the uh, astrological sign, the uh, the what is it the the number you are, whether you're a one or a five or a eight or something, or whether you're you know these different identities that we hold to. Um, they they give us a sense of you know, trying to explain why we are the way we are. And there are also ways of trying to understand people in a way, you know, what the differences of perspective or preference or emotional quality, that the, the, the variables on the personal level. But yet, uh, if I talk to you, I always is because you are a Scorpio or something like that, then uh, <laughs> I may not really get to know you at all. <laughs> or myself, if I'm pretty much set in, in my identity with my astrological sign. Not that these that these are wrong or or uh, you know not to to dismiss that, but to see it is memory, isn't it? It's it's a function of the mind. It's not a real person, and that attachment to those memories, like the the creations that 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 we have, that attachment is uh, abhicha or ignorance of the dhamma. So in uh, avicca is uh, is the cause of suffering, attachment out of ignorance. So just like the, the this means attachment to the conditioned realm as identity, and uh, and never questioning, never investigating that identity. A thing which which clings to and and defines oneself through the earth, fire, water, and air perspective, <coughs> through the memories we have, through the emotional habits we have.
So the leg, once we see through that, the the, the vipassana practices of seeing uh, anicca dukkanata is uh, is a skillful means to break down the the assumptions we have around those identities. It's not to destroy or you know to get rid of thought or or personality or anything like that, but to no longer operate. Uh, from uh, from that restri- restriction, being a created person, being a body, being a, a personality, is always a, you know it's a narrow restriction. You know, when this investigating my own personality for years, I realize how limited my personality is. You know, it's not trying to to make my personality into an enlightened personality is an impossibility. What is an enlightened personality? And then we've got an idea. If I was an enlightened person, then I would be kind of saintly, wouldn't I? And I'd, I'd glow with with cosmic energy, and I'd never get angry. I'd always be full of compassion as a person. And then people project that. Somebody in my position, how many of you project all kinds of your desires of wanting me to be the loving, good-natured, nurturing, uh, wise friend, father, mother, sage, all that, you know, wanting... Because that that's that's what you, if if I was really, uh, you know, somebody that was enlightened, then I would, you know, I'd have all these enlightened qualities that we imagine an enlightened person should have. So we, you know, it's easy to project onto teachers and and that. Uh, people that have been practicing meditation or in positions, all kinds of, uh, you know, beautiful qualities, and then we become disillusioned when, when we, we don't produce them for you on a continuous basis. <clears throat> How many people have I really offended and disappointed? <laughs> because I, I can't be uh, an enlightened personality for you in the way that you imagine. The personality is, uh, is you know, is, is we, we have our personalities. You know, why is, why is Ajahn Chah was one, you know, he had it's still a personality. Or other teachers or uh, sages or saints. We, we uh, we uh, if we don't know them, if we don't live with them, then we can just uh, imagine that they're just serene uh, sages all the time, 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. <coughs> so looking at the one's own personality, not through judging it, not a critical assessment or comparing it to an ideal of of a perfect personality, but recognizing uh, the the way the personality operates. It changes. This is a Buddhist teaching. It abhijat that conditions change. Your personality changes according to the conditions. And if you really notice this, I, you know, being aware of how you become, you know, you, your, your, your personal qualities and emotions will change according to the, what the conditions are. Trying to sustain a kind of an ideal personality through all the vicissitudes of, of human uh, daily life, can, I can't do it, nobody can. <coughs> Because personality is a non-sustainable uh, condition, 
has no no way to sustain itself because it's so dependent on conditions. So when when everything's going well, you know, everybody's saying uh, everything's okay, everything's fine. I'm happy. I don't want to disrobe. I love monastic life. I love Theravada Buddhism. I love Ajahn Sumato. I love Amaravati. Uh, it's a wonderful place. Where my life is fulfilled. And uh, my personality <laughs> is quite different than when you start saying, "Oh, I'm so fed up with it and disillusioned with the whole thing," and and uh, you don't need to be a monk or a nun to practice. You can do it in just as well. And in fact, I think monasticism is probably an obstruction, and Theravada Buddhism is terribly disappointing, sexist, and patriarchal, and and I'm. Uh, you know, no longer uh, feel any interest in it, and then my personality will change. <laughs> I've noticed that. Or it changes, you know, according to the weather. You know, when a bright sunny day here in England, I mean, England is so beautiful in the sunshine. In the springtime, the sparkling light and blue skies and flowers blooming and you just feel so happy and uplifted by, by the beauty of the English countryside. And then it gets, and then winter or it gets all rainy and gray and damp and cold, and and my personality changes because conditions have changed. Just the weather can, you know, affects the personality. But that which is aware, and that the weather, and the aware of that—that's the refuge. This awareness is the abiding in the background, in the stream, the continuous flow, resting in that stream, fully alert, it's not a kind of blind kind of dopiness I'm asking, but uh, it's, it's where a panya can operate. We begin to see things as they are, the, the the depressing thoughts during the gray, damp, rainy, cold day, or the tendency to complain, or or the the exuberance, joie de vivre on a sunny day, sunny spring day, or when everybody when somebody's saying, "I love Amravati and Theravada Buddhism and monastic life and Vinaya and." Ajahn Sumedho and the monks and the nuns and and then when when the opposite occurs and this this continuity the sustainability is in awareness not in emotional conditions that are dependent on being praised being blamed being whether it's sunny or rainy day or night. Now, the resting in the stream, then you think, that, well, then that's enlightenment, and then uh, you're free from all its bliss. Then these words themselves get in the way. And because then you're expecting some, like being inspired or something, something fantastic or kind of like a permanent cure for everything. And so we, we grasp the idea, why, 
you know, if I sit here and just relax and open and receive, and uh, then then I'll, uh, you know, I'll experience nibbana and be free from all suffering forevermore. And this is still this is the creation of the mind again, isn't it? It's thinking, grasping the ideas. So, what is the reality of awareness? And since awareness receives, then it receives physical pain, emotional stress, uh, joy, misery, praise and blame. So one still feels these. The feeling element uh, it does not uh, kind of, you know, you don't become somebody that doesn't feel anything. But your relationship to feeling to sensory world is different, say, it's one of receiving, allowing rather than of judging, criticizing, controlling, trying to, resisting. So it's, it's a patience, being very patient, allowing something unpleasant to be the way it is in your, in your consciousness. So in, in my uh, uh, in my experience, it's allowing despair or aversion or resentment to be. Not not analyzing. As far as I try to analyze, and 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 then it becomes, and then it just increases. You know, just I become identified with it, but just with. Recognizing this feeling of aversion, of resistance is like this. I rest in the, in, the, in the stillness, the sound of silence, and let it be. Then I notice that in that if I don't label it or resist it or try, try to analyze it, if I just let it, things be, then I'm very much aware of of the well, how they really are. So, like in in certain uh, emotional states, of, of the thought, well, I can't stand it. It's it's unbearable. I've had enough. Fed up. The mind will say that. The, my mind, my emotional patterns will say, I'm fed up. I've had enough. Can't take any more of this. But then in, in the awareness, you know, I realize that that's just an emotional reaction. Not to, not to believe that I can't take any more of this, that I'm fed up. Once I buy into that mode, then, then I act accordingly. I get fed up and I give up and I blame it on somebody or whatever. So, not to believe it, but to receive it. This voice that says, I'm fed up. It it is unsustainable. Being fed up is not sustainable. If you you receive it, you just recognize it is what it is. And as you allow things to flow through you and be what they are, you you find that... um, you know, the liberation isn't anything fantastic. But you begin to re- realize uh, a state of, be- a, a natural state of being in which uh, we, I would call bliss, but that word bliss isn't, isn't a high, it's not like I'm just, you know, radiant with with joy and happiness it's quite it's calm it's real cool and then the world is seen in terms of you know it, it's one relates to the world um, from there, 
from this background rather than from identity with the worldly condition. So as the world changes and uh, the rainy day comes and then the sunny day and that, then the relationship to that is one of, isn't, isn't uh, loving or hating, but recognizing it. Not creating aversion to the rainy day. I find rainy days, cloudy days, damp weather, it's all right. If I'm, if I'm resting in the awareness, I don't create, I don't, I don't feel any need to, to grumble about it or wish I was somewhere else because then that, that is, uh, I'm creating suffering around it. <coughs> or, you know, when the sunny days come and then get all kind of ebullient and excited about that, Overwhelmed because if I do that, then, then the next day if it starts raining, I go, oh no, another rainy day. I start grumbling again. And if I get caught in my, my ebullience and kind of joy and oh beautiful sunshine, spring flowers, whoopee, then uh, the weather changes and then then I start grumbling. Oh England, yeah, the climate. No, no, no. I remember English love to grumble about the weather here, and uh, I think English people are the worst grumblers about their weather. Because the weather does affect, you know, the, the personality. But if you've lived in a really hot, sunny place for years, it's, it, you know, after a while you get so fed up with heat. When I came to England, I was kind of relieved to be in a cool place because I was so tired of being hot all the time and sweating. <coughs> and yet I like sunny weather too, you know, I like, I always, you know, as soon as I could get away from Seattle, Washington, I was off to California, the Sunshine State, because Seattle, Washington is very much like England, southern England. So, liking the sun, and then, and then, um, you know, complaining about the 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 rain. But now the mind doesn't do that; it just is what it is, because. Uh, the stability of awareness is as the strength rather than the emotional preferences that I, I would have to one or the other, or reactions. So during this uh, time, keep experimenting and trusting and see this retreat as a time for relaxation, for, for resting, not, not some challenge that you've got to, you know, if we see retreats as got to get something out of this retreat, got to make it work, I've got to discipline myself and get samadhi and then it, then we, we go at it and make it quite miserable for ourselves. So see the retreat not as a, a kind of challenge uh, uh, to prove yourself but as opportunity, a kind of blessing for you to, to relax, to open to life, to be yourself rather than trying to become somebody uh, who has insight and so forth uh, and to get all you can out of the retreat. <coughs> 